Hello to all of our listeners and welcome to the Property Insights Podcast with Select Property Group. I'm Amber Fur, and today I'm back for our 10th episode with Senior Director Giles Bezik, who has been with Select since the group was founded in 2004. Thank you so much for joining me again, Giles. How are you? Hey, Amber. Yeah, I'm good, thank you, and good to speak to you as always. So the last episode that we recorded together was a bit of a myth-busting podcast focused on the common objections from investors throughout the investment process. And today we're going to talk about 10 questions to ask when making a property investment. So as you'll know, Giles, you know, although UK property is known for its resilience and is widely regarded as one of the most stable asset classes, of course, no investment comes without its risks. So Due to a range of external factors, it's always important to ask the right questions before rushing into any investment to mitigate as many risks as possible. So Giles, to start us off then, our first question that any investor should be asking themselves, are you ready to make a property investment at this time? Yeah, it's an interesting question. It sounds a bit unusual, doesn't it? But I do think it's important for for anybody who's embarking on on an investment to really feel that they're coming at it from a position of some certainty and and stability and often of course our customers are repeat investors they've made many investments over time and they have a sort of certain rhythm or timing to making investments but certainly I think for first-time investors or, or at least people who are investing in a particular type of property investment for the first time it is important to to be clear on what your goals are and what your budget is. Um, and as you say, you know, we talked in our previous episode about the fact that no property investment is completely without risk. So I think it is important that people come at it with, with a feeling of stability and certainty that they are ready to get into the market, either for the first time or again at, at this time in their life. And that can mean relative to to other life events that are going on for them. And we would always recommend that investors speak to a property consultant or a financial advisor just to sort of check and test that those assumptions are correct and that they do feel ready. And also to do their own research, you know, not only on the opportunities that they're looking at, but also to feel comfortable with the sort of the the economic environment in which they're making that investment and, and the property market specifically and to have looked at the range of locations that they're focused on investing in and always of course the track record of the developer that or developers that they're speaking to to feel comfortable that they're they're ready to move ahead with an investment at this time. Okay and I think the second question sort of leads quite nicely on from that and might be one that that one would consider to make sure that they are ready. And that is, what are your goals as a property investor? I think it's it's so important, isn't it, to have a clear idea of those goals so that you know, you know, if the investment's working out for you and also that you have realistic expectations and margins to work within. Yeah, that's right. And normally when we're talking about goals as an investor, we're talking either about income or yield expectations or capital growth over time, depending on the time horizon. And, and often the the capital appreciation is likely to be a function of the, the rental yield that a property is generating. So norm, normally people's goals are, are based around a combination or leading on one or other of those two attributes with property. And we always try to talk to people about property being a good mid to long term investment. So 
I think there have been times in the market, we've certainly been active in the market at times when people have maybe had a bit more of a sort of a smash and grab approach to to getting into property investments that they're moving on very quickly. We've certainly seen that in the London market in the past and, and in emerging markets overseas. But I think generally speaking, the property investors that we're dealing with and, and we speak to day to day are looking at property as, as a sort of medium to long term investment. And, and that, that's what particularly lends itself towards the off plan uh, investment market, because we know, of course, that property is, is naturally inflation linked. So yeah. your money is working for you all the time. And, and even if you get involved at an early stage in a development area or, or an emerging location or a type of property that, that is likely to be in high demand once it's complete and ready to occupy, then there are good incentives to, to getting involved off plan. And, and investors can expect to see some capital appreciation on paper, at least, during the construction period. But I always remember somebody once told me that property is like the ultimate get rich slow scheme. And I always think that's a good thing to bear in mind. You know, property will always go in, up in value if you look historically at the market over any period of you know, medium term period in the history of, of data on the market. Property always stacks up as long as people have a sensible and realistic view of the time horizon of their investment. Okay, yeah, that, that's really helpful. As you said, those sort of days of, of buying and flipping property for, for immediate short-term gain isn't necessarily sort of the way now, is it, with property? No, that's right. Look, you know, some people may have the occasional exceptional win. Uh, yeah. Often we find actually when, you know, when, when people are offered an opportunity to exit an investment that they've made much sooner than they had planned to, they turn it down because it's normally an indication that actually the property stands to be a really good and solid medium to long term investment, which is why somebody's prepared to to take it off your hands for a premium. So so actually often we find investors that we talk to are less inclined to take some cash off the table, you know, over the short term because they all that does is it reinforces their view of the medium to long term strength of the opportunity. Okay, so moving on to question three, what type of investment opportunity do you want to get involved with? Now, I know you touched on the different financial goals. You know, some people are more motivated by longer term capital appreciation, others by stronger rental yields, and most a combination of both. So what type of investment opportunities might investors want to get involved with depending on their goals? Yeah, I think this is a really important question. And I think another aspect to it is is having an understanding as an investor about whether you want to be active or passive. And what I mean by that is some investors like to feel like they are in control of their investments or their portfolio, that they have some agency over how it's managed and let, um, the type of tenants they want to attract. And some property investors like to feel that, you know, it's, it's almost a, a hobby or a, a sort of a a semi full-time job for them to manage their investments but for other people they really just want to park some capital in a property uh, development and have it generate a return for them over a medium long term without really any active involvement from their side so i think that's one of the big questions to ask yourself in terms of what type of investment to get involved in we at select property of course always 
steer people towards the, the benefits of purpose-built and professionally managed property developments because we feel that it offers the best combination of those types of return that property generates for people. And typically those developments are, are in premium locations in the cities that have the best rental story. They are designed and built around the ever-evolving expectations that tenants have from their homes moving forward. And I think delivering on those changing priorities and expectations of tenants is key to underpinning the investment story. And it's only really purpose-built and professionally managed built-to-rent property that offers the best combination of those, we think, moving forward. The other consideration is the type of tenant that the property you're investing in is going to attract. So, you know, some people maybe might be drawn towards, say, purpose-built student accommodation, which many of our listeners will, will know that we've sold a lot of those developments over time. And, and that's attractive to people maybe because it has a slightly lower capital entry point, typically has very high levels of occupancy because they're in very high demand areas and only attracting one particular type of tenant, but very hands-off. It's not a property you're ever going to live in or, or want to get involved in letting yourself. But you know, potentially people might view that as being a bit too rigid for them as an investment, maybe also slightly less liquid in terms of their ability to sell it on quickly if they wanted to. So so yeah, those are the two main considerations that I suggest people should be should be really thinking through. Okay, great. And just to sort of give some examples of of the difference in those types of property that you talk about, you know, whether it's the the student or the residential sector, the sort of typical buy to let investments, you know, the the sort of historical landlord model would be, as you say, a, a, probably a house of multiple occupancy. You know, in the more suburban areas generally a lot older, of course, no amenities. And therefore, due to the age of those sort of developments, they tend to require quite a lot of refurbishment, a lot of repairs. And by comparison, of course, these new purpose-built student residential sector, purpose-built accommodation and property, you know, you're going to have far less of those issues. And it really is a much more hands-off, hassle-free investment approach, isn't it, as you say? Yeah, and I think you might be giving your listeners a, a clue as to some of the questions that might be coming up <laughs> next. But but that's right. And, and we're not saying that, you know, that there's only one type of investment. You know, all of these investments are are interesting to people and, and can be very lucrative. I, I know some, some investors like the house and multiple occupation yeah. model because potentially you can generate higher level of, of income from a lower capital investment but typically as you say there's a bit more volatility in in the operating and maintenance costs for investing in that model and potentially more void risk from time to time which, which might change the continuity or consistency of of your returns whereas purpose-built professionally managed property perhaps offers a a more predictable income stream but but yes it's it's horses for courses i would say Okay, so question four then. Have you done a vanity check before deciding on where to invest? And I think this might have been what you meant <laughs> about, you know, we've, we've just covered some of that. But can you expand on that a little bit more? Yeah, this, um, this is a really interesting question. We, we find often when we're, we're talking to investors that 
And I think there's something about property as an asset class that makes people get very emotionally involved in it in a way that it's easier for people to veer towards thinking about what they would want from the property if they were going to live in it themselves or to have certain ideas or or expectations about the property which might not actually be borne out by the the advice from the company that's selling it to them. So we put this question in, I think, just to, to make sure that Whilst everybody has some experience of home ownership and occupation through the house that they live in and and, and other investments that they, they may have made, you know, you use that emotional connection certainly to, to sort of drive your instincts towards where you want to invest. But also you need to have a certain level of detachment from the property because sometimes, you know, your particular subjective views and feelings might not be the right ones telling you you where you should be making an investment so you know we know know people sometimes get very hung up on aspect and view from a property but aspect and view aren't always a determinant of of rental potential and and income and also floor height you know some people generally think that they need to be as high up a tower building as possible again partly that might be driven by views or, or sort of received wisdom about the status or premium attached to to properties that are high up. But actually, you know, there are lots of tenants that also prefer to live lower down a building, maybe because I know they want to spend less time in the lift or or they just don't like being high up a building, you know, in sort of in bad weather and, you know, for all different other kinds of reasons. Layout is another one. You know, people tend to to get obsessed with the layout of a property that they're looking at off plan and, and obsessing about layout and where you'd put furniture and things like that, as if they were going to live in it themselves. But (laughs) I would say, you know, listen to the property consultant that's advising you and be prepared to accept that that actually some of the some of the strongest drivers of investment returns might be counterintuitive to you in terms of how you might want to live in in the property yourself. Yeah, no, that's really good advice. And I think with regards to what you're saying about the lower floors and, you know, some investors might find that less appealing, the developers are, are sort of aware of that as well. And often, you now have options like townhouses on ground floors, more outdoor space, et cetera, and, and sometimes balconies and terraces for those, for those lower ground floor apartments to make those more attractive. So that's definitely something to consider as well. So on to question five, have you understood the associated costs of making a property investment and are they within your budget? Yeah, so this ties back a little bit to, to the first question, doesn't it? Just in terms of people having a, a proper understanding of, of the costs that they're, that they're going to incur alongside the purchase price of, of the property. Again, anybody who's invested in property in the past should have some awareness of this, although those associated costs do change over time, in particular with with rules around stamp duty and other taxes, but also just with the style and trend of how properties are being managed, people might expect the proportion of their income uh, that they're paying on property fees to go up as markets become more competitive. And, and some of those some of those costs and fees associated with managing a property investment are going to be payable up front. You know, maybe you're going to have to pay an annual ground rent, service charges, um, some, some management fees to whoever's going to let your property for you. So these are questions that you should also be asking your property consultant when you're looking at investment. 
to make sure that you have sufficient headroom in your budget to, to meet those initial costs that are, are going to be required to, to get you into the investment that you want to get into. The other one to think about is furniture as well, whether you're being advised by the developer or, or the consultant that you're speaking to, to, to provide some furniture with your with your property to attract a particular type of tenant, depending on the type of property and, and where it is, that might come at additional costs. So all of these need to, to feed into your budget planning so that people don't put themselves in a position where they've based their budget purely around the purchase price and then put themselves under pressure when they, they then add in the additional costs that they're going to incur alongside the purchase price. Absolutely. And I think it's, it's sort of about you know, weighing up those costs of, for example, furnishing your apartment with the potential of the increased rental yield that you could receive as a result of doing that. Um, it's actually up to 21% more that you could achieve in terms of rental yield from a furnished apartment. And I think that really sort of feeds into that sort of flexibility that a lot of young renters are looking for now, you know, in these city centre purpose-built accommodation. What they really want is a sort of flexible tenancy, you know, six months to, to a year, generally furnished so they don't have to worry about all of that and with all these amenities as well. So yeah, I think it's definitely worth, as you say, considering all those extra costs that you might not have been aware of, but also having a look at, you know, if those extra costs could potentially generate stronger returns for you in the long term. That's right. And, and taking advice from, from the people who really know the market in terms of, you know, when, when a property is built, if you're buying off plan, you know, how these properties going to be marketed for sale and what are you doing to, to make your property as attractive as possible to, to the tenants that are going to want to, to be drawn to that building? Absolutely. Okay, so moving on to question six. So what's the expected return on your investment property and what sensitivity is this subject to? Yeah, so this sounds like an obvious question, but, but we would always encourage investors and, and prospective investors to, to really drill the property consultants that they're, that they're talking to about an investment around realistic expectations of, of returns and, and what's that, what that's based on. And, and reputable developers and sales agents should be able to give you as an investor a, a good idea of predicted uh, capital growth over the construction period based on market data, as, as we spoke about on one of the earlier questions. And then, of course, on, on the projected rental yield when the property is completed and, and on the market. And also give you an idea of the, the associated costs, the management costs and running costs associated with managing that investment. So, you know, those questions are, are as important to ask when you're considering an investment and, and also to ask questions around the overall market, not just in the location that you're looking at investing in, but the investment landscape that exists around that development as well. And, and, and that's the sensitivity analysis bit that the question refers to. You know, what are the assumptions that the, the figures that are driving those predicted returns are based on? Is it, is it based on expectations of regeneration or other development that's going on in the particular area are, are there key employers in the area or or is, is there anything about the employment market in in a particular location which is underpinning the investment story and how secure is that is is that an emerging trend or is it a stabilized position are there any macroeconomic factors that could impact 
those returns either positively or negatively. And another aspect of that is the sort of the travel and infrastructure element of, of a location and the story behind a development, you know, whether there are key infrastructure improvements that are have just been delivered or are in the pipeline to be delivered that are going to drive demand from tenants looking to rent high quality accommodation in that area, maybe because it's it's an area that's becoming more commutable for a, a larger urban area nearby or that there's big employment growth in the area which is driving a particular tenant demographic to that area. So these are the sort of questions that that we would expect people to to ask and good developers and, and property agents should be able to to answer those questions and and also give you the data to support those projected returns because we do see a lot of unsubstantiated claims out there. Sure. And just to sort of bring those examples to life a little bit um, for people that might not be, you know, maybe first time investors and people who might not be sort of overly aware of, of the current market. Birmingham is a great example of those sort of key infrastructure projects that have literally transformed it as a property investment city. HS2 being a great example, you know, that will make Birmingham a commuter hotspot literally overnight when that comes in. But, you know, despite that being some years away before completion, we've already seen a huge impact in Birmingham as an investment city. You know, it's the the UK city with the highest rental growth and capital growth in terms of house prices over the next five years by JLL. So all of the forecasts for Birmingham are incredibly strong. And that comes at a time, you know, with these major key infrastructure projects and also things like the Commonwealth Games being hosted there this year really sort of projecting Birmingham onto the global stage, all of these things, as you say, that sort of macro environment that make a huge difference. Okay, so moving on to the next question then. We touched a little bit on management before when we were looking at what type of investments that the investor might want to make. But who will manage the property? On what terms and for how long? So could you just give a little bit more detail about that? Yeah, really important question, this one, because when you're investing in property, you're not only investing in bricks and mortar, as they say, but also more typically glass and concrete now, of course, but also you're investing yeah. in, in the operational platform around which that property is going to be managed. We've spoken a bit already about management and maintenance of property being, being a key consideration. A lot of people are, are put off by property investments where they feel like there isn't a defined plan for for that ongoing maintenance. So so again, one of the benefits with purpose-built and professionally managed property is that, that it should come with a defined strategy and a plan for how those properties are going to be managed with a credible operator on board. You know, even when you're buying off plan, a developer should be able to tell you who is lined up to operate that property and on what basis, and also give you an indication of the cost at which those management services are going to come. And a lot of the investors that we talk to are are drawn to a, towards the build to rent sector because it offers this sort of turnkey solution to those management and maintenance questions. A lot of these developments typically have high levels of staff, you know, almost sort of twenty four seven on site staff and concierge teams to deal with everything that, that a tenant will want to, to deal with, whether it's sort of security issues or management and, and maintenance issues, and also sort of managing the overall environment, in particular in, 
buildings that have high levels of amenities, pools and gyms and, and restaurants and cafes as well. So all of these things make the, the overall management strategy even more important. And also uh, a good operating model delivers a much more attractive proposition for prospective tenants as well. So having an understanding of how that's going to work from standing in the shoes of, of the prospective tenants who are going to rent your property is a really key thing to have understood. And, and that doesn't all have to be under one roof, by the way. You know, there are developers who who also manage properties, but there are also developers who have sort of partnerships or long-standing relationships with other sort of best-in-class facilities management and lettings management companies. And if they can provide the details of that team that's going to stand behind your property investment to you and you, you can get comfortable with their track record and management philosophy, that's going to give you a lot of reassurance. But we would say beware of property investments that that look good on face value but but where the the level of information about who is going to manage it and how is light or scarce because that might suggest that there's no defined plan in place yet okay great and just to sort of touch on you were saying about you know being in the shoes of the tenant as a tenant myself so i rent um in a purpose-built property um, and I, my development is fully managed. And from my experience, you know, you know, I know you said that every investor is different. Some like to be more hands-on. For me personally, to just have that sort of one agency that, that I go to, one sort of seamless point of contact, if something's down, so if my hot water's not working, for example, I can get that fixed within the hour. You know, someone calls me and it's been great. When I sort of compare that to my university experience, for example, in a house of multiple occupancy, if my oven was broken, it was gone for the week. You know, it's, especially with sort of overseas investors that might own the property, it could be really difficult to, to get that same sort of standard of, of living experience. So yeah, it's definitely worth considering management. So on to the next question then. Have you properly examined and understood the difference between gross and net returns? Now, this is something that comes up, I'd say, definitely more from sort of first-time investors. It can be quite confusing, can't it, when you first sort of look at your expectations financially? Yeah, definitely. And this is something, again, that people really need to work through in, in their financial plans, is, is to have a, an understanding of, it relates back to, to the last couple of questions that we've, we've talked about. You know, when, when you're you're quizzing your property consultant on on the underlying returns that they can expect to receive from the property. It's having an understanding of, of the headline return. So, you know, what are the market comparables in the location? You know, what are people paying per month for this type of and size of, of property? But also then having an understanding of the costs that that management strategy that we just spoke about on the last question is going to have on the net returns that you're going to get from the property and you know it, it's a it's a balancing act isn't it because you should expect high quality management and operating strategy to come at at a at a reasonable cost because you want the manager or operator of of the development in your property to be well remunerated for for doing a good job for you we talked about those management and maintenance costs so again if you're looking at investing in, in a development that, that has a high level of, of amenity, 
We've said that that's going to drive demand and attraction from the tenant market, but also that's going to come at slightly higher annual maintenance costs, you might expect. So you just need to balance the benefits of of everything that you're paying for as part of that investment and have an understanding of the impact that that's going to have on your net returns when you factor in those costs and the predictability of those costs as well as, as we've spoken about. The good thing about investing in, in a sort of fully managed passive investment is, is normally you get more predictability around those costs. They might on face value seem a bit higher when compared to other investments that you might be looking at. But if those other investments uh, have less predictability around the ongoing management and maintenance costs, then you could find that your net costs at the end of the day over a, a medium to long term could actually be lower than than the than the headline cost that you were looking at on face value. And the, the other thing about investing in, in property where there is a, an operator on board and built in almost to, to the investment proposition is there are normally some sort of collective success criteria. So so the manager is incentivized to do a good job and, and deliver the best net return for you. And and a lot of investors that we talk to and that we sell to like that sort of shared success criteria aspect of it. Okay, great. And question nine then. So this might seem like a bit of a strange question when you're thinking of making a property investment, but it's always so important, as you know. Do you have an exit strategy? Yeah, we get asked about this quite a lot. And, you know, it is important to think about some of the investors that we talk to don't have an exit exit strategy. In particular, coming back to that very first question, if if the investment objective is is income and yield, then you know you can keep a property in a high demand area that's been well managed and maintained for the long term, and the value of the property will go up with inflation, and it should always generate a good income stream for you. But other investors do like to sort of come in and out of the market. They maybe, if they have some experience of other investments, feel that there's a sort of a sweet spot in terms of the time that, that they will hold the property for. We talked about the the sort of macroeconomic factors that impact tenant demand and uh, rental premium. So people might feel like a particular development in a particular location is going to go through a period of growth that will outperform the market and and they want to hold that property maybe invest off plan and make a a sort of an early stage commitment to an emerging area or or a a development which they feel is going to attract a particular tenant demographic and then hold it for a period of time as that particular sector or location stabilizes and matures in the market and then exit that investment at, at a premium at a particular point in time so all of these are valid considerations. And again, there are things that a good property consultant should be able to advise you on. And in terms of how that exit is delivered, then it's it's about having a sense of who is likely to, to buy that property at the end of the period that you'll be looking to hold it for. And, and what is the market that, that's going to be created to enable that sale to happen? So you know, we, we talk to our investors at Select Property about our sort of brokerage services, which have, have successfully turned over, you know, fairly high proportion of properties that we've originally sold off plan on behalf of the original investors on the secondary market. 
and we can provide some really good market data about the likelihood and time scale and capital appreciation that you're likely to realize from doing that. Uh, so yes, it's, it's having an understanding of both the opportunities, but also perhaps the limitations of being able to, to sell on your property if your life circumstances change, or, or if you just want, like to recycle your capital uh, over a, a longer period of time for, out of one development opportunity into another. Although I, I would say that mostly people that are looking to exit an investment that we've sold them are normally looking to get straight back into the market. So it's normally only really as a, as a result of the, the success that they've seen from, from an investment that they've made. It's, it's not normally because they're deterred from the market because it hasn't performed as well as it expected. Okay, great. So moving on then to our final question. Now, this is a topic that is going to be increasingly important going forward to all investors and needs to be at the top of their agenda. And that is, what steps has the developer taken to build the property sustainably? Yeah, I, I agree with you, Amber. I think, I think that's a really important question and perhaps not one that, that uh, your listeners were expecting as, as part of these 10 questions. But increasingly, I think it is important to understand what the developer is doing around sustainability and, and how they are ensuring that the developments that you're looking at investing in are future-proofed against some of the sustainability objectives, not only of governments and, and the planning authorities, but also of, of prospective tenants, because tenants are increasingly focused on operational sustainability and want to have a good feeling about the environmental sustainability of, of everything they purchase, whether it's clothes and food to the car that they drive and, and the homes that they live in. So it's an, an important time, I think, at the moment. Um, it's obviously a, a very a topic that's very much in public consciousness. There are some important changes coming this year to building regulations, which will help the government to drive development and property management towards achieving its goals around energy consumption reduction in 2050 is the big goal, but also um, nearer range goals in 2035 and, and 2030. So knowing that your developer has an understanding of those changes and, and those goals in terms of selection of the type of heating and cooling that the building has, whether it's being operated with any net zero carbon operational targets, and also whether thought has been given to, to management of waste, whether the building has any smart technologies to help drive and incentivize behaviors around those energy reduction and carbon reduction targets, whether any thought has been given to the materials and the components, repair, reuse and recycling of furniture and components in the building. These are also important sustainability criteria. and. I think developers who are very focused on and, and live to these issues should have a story to tell about what they're doing in, in this area in a way that will give you a sense of how your property is going to be managed over the next five or 10 years to ensure that you're not going to end up owning a property in a building which is maybe very energy intensive, um, you know, has high carbon emissions, which which may come to, to be penalised through the, the tax regime for property 
And again, a developer who, who has a vested interest in the operational efficiency and sustainability of your asset is going to share some of those success criteria with you. So that's why we would encourage people to ask this question and think of property investment not only as investing in a product, but investing in a product and a service. And sustainability credentials, we genuinely think, are, are going to be increasingly important to, to underpin the long-term investment potential and manage cost effectively. Coming back to that question about understanding the difference between gross and net returns. And, and people often focus on, on headline returns and aren't always comparing total cost of ownership and long-term predictability and consistency of returns when they're looking at different property investments. So having a good understanding of those through conversation around areas such as sustainable operations with a property consultant uh, is definitely something we would encourage. Absolutely. I think it's safe to say that sustainability is a topic that is certainly not going anywhere. Um, so Giles, thank you so much. That's been such a valuable conversation and I'm sure it's proven very useful for everybody listening. No problem. Pleasure as always. Thank you. And for everyone listening, thanks for joining us on our 10th episode. If you found it useful and want to stay up to date with the market, subscribe on your platform of choice. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts.